You're listening to the North Richland Hills Baptist Church Sermon Audio Podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, go to nrhbc.org. Well, today I'm going to put a bow on this series entitled Margin, Taking Back Your Life. Whether you have a little bit of money or a whole lot of money, money is an important factor in your life. And one of the pieces that we're going to look at today about taking our finances back, giving ourselves margin, is how to experience financial peace. As we look at this today, Jesus is going to give us some really ex- specific, he's going to zero in. He's going to zero in on one piece that you won't hear at Schwab, you won't hear it in any other place. He's going to talk to us about our future and our second future. This reminds me of a time this past summer, we successfully convinced our kids to put the electronics away, which is really hard to do. And we gathered together up in Colorado and again back at the house around the dining room table. And I, um, I began to play Monopoly with my 15-year-old son. He'll be 16 next month. And this kid is a wizard at Monopoly. Um, every game, he beat his brother, he beat me, he beat friends. I mean, every game, he had all the reds, the yellows, the greens. He had hotels, he had houses. It just it was annoying. It was just really annoying. <laughs> And so I remember the last time he and I played, I thought, okay, you know, and, and they, get, they get all full of themselves, don't they? When they they're, you know, I'm beating Dad and this whole thing. I thought, I'm going to stop this stuff right here. And I've always got a strategy when it comes to Monopoly, probably the same strategy that many of you have. I'm going to get Boardwalk, and I'm going to get Park Place, and we're going to shut your yapping mouth. <laughs> well, I had those two, but the problem was they were mortgaged, because I kept landing on his little blue properties. And when you look over, I had, you know, 11 or 15 different properties, but they were all flipped over. And if that little kid didn't beat me again that night, it's really annoying, really annoying. And uh, then the next thing that was amazing happened. Every time that we played this summer, Monopoly, same thing happened. We put all the hotels and all the houses, we put all the Monopoly cash, we put it on top of the board and put everything in a box and we put a lid over it. And every time we went to bed, none of us, whether we're winners or losers, had any more hotels or had any more houses or any more property. We all went to the bed with the same amount of money that we had when we started. By the way, he wasn't allowed to eat a piece of pizza or drink any water out of my kitchen after that horrible way he acted himself that night. You know, Monopoly teaches us something. At the end of this life, how much money I make, however much money that I earn or have been given, all of it is going to go inside of a box. And just like we did that night, we went to bed, there's going to become a day when I go into my eternal bed. And none of the stuff that I've earned is going to take me to the next life. If you've got a Bible with me, find Luke chapter 16. We're going to land in verse 1 in just a moment. Luke chapter 16. It's a really puzzling parable that Jesus tells. And as you're landing there, let me just kind of recap where we've been. Week one, we talked about the lesson of contentment, that whatever the Lord has given us to be content with it, whether we have a whole lot or a little bit, we're to be content. Because the lack of contentment, discontentment is driving death in our country. Second week, we came together, we talked about the value of saving, saving for a rainy day. Third week, we talked about the joy of giving. And I want to wrap up this evening 
the series, I should say, by talking to you about experiencing financial peace. And Jesus is going to do something really, really puzzling in this. He's going to, as if he's going to take his arms and put it around one of the most dishonest men in any of his parables, like a Bernie Madoff, and say, I want you to do what this guy's doing. You ready? Beginning in verse 1. He also said, Jesus also said to his disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager. And charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and he said to him, what is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management. For you can no longer be manager. The manager said to himself, what shall I do since my master is taking the management away from me? Look at the end of verse 3. Many of us would say this. I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I've decided what to do, so that when I'm removed from management, people may receive me in their houses. So summoning his master's debtors, one by one, he said to the first, how much money do you owe my master? He said, I have 100 measures of oil. He said, well, take your bill, sit down quickly and write 50. Then he said to another, how much do you owe? He said, 100 measures of wheat. He said to him, take your bill and write down 80. The master, this is the most shocking thing in this story. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, Jesus continues, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth so that when it fails that you may receive you into eternal dwellings. One who is faithful, Jesus continues, one who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. One who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you've not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? Jesus continues and concludes with these words in verse 13. No servant, no servant can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and what? Say it. Money. May God bless the reading of his word. You know, this is a really, really puzzling parable. Oftentimes when you read something like this out of Jesus, you want to just kind of look at the edge of your Bible and go, how did that get in there? Is that, is that really in my Bible? Did, really just, did Jesus just say that? In fact, if you remember from early in the series, we talked about there's four things you can do with your money. You can work for money. Let me say that a different way. If you want money, go to work for it. If you don't have money, you need to work. Money is frequently not given to people who don't work. You work for money. Want more money? Go to work. Want less money? Quit working. Work is how you get money. Two, you can save money. There's the value of saving. We looked at the life of Joseph. He talked about, predicted seven years of plenty, seven years of famine. We saw the principle in the Bible where the ant tells us to save for the rainy day. We talked about the joy of giving, and now we look at this opportunity, a fifth piece here. What's this fifth piece? Jesus says, look to your future. 
You can impact your future with how you handle your money. And he's not speaking of the future at the end of this life. Today I want you to see this, a story with a twist. Look with me in your Bible again. A story with a twist. Beginning in verses 1 and 2 is the first of three scenes. The first scene you'll see there is the rich man and his money manager. Some of your older translations may say slave or steward, but this is a money manager. This is the equivalent of a Charles Schwab or some other version of that. In verses 3 through 7, the second scene is the manager with the people in debt. Now he's gathered up everybody that owes the rich man money. The third and last scene is in verse 8, and it's this really shocking reaction. The rich man commends the dishonest manager. Now, you need to feel the twist for just a minute. You need to feel it. Imagine this. The boss comes, gathers you, and says, hey, you are wasting our time. You're wasting our resources. You're out the door. Only you've got hours, weeks, days before you exit. In the intervening time, you gather the people that owes your boss lots of money, and you write down their debt from 100000 to 80000 from $1 million to half a million. What's so shocking about this is that you'd think the rich man would chew the backside out. I mean, just chew up and down. I can't believe you would do this. In fact, most of us today, if we're in this situation, might be escorted to the door all the authority that we have financially on behalf of our company would stop immediately. By the way, has this ever happened to you? That you either fired or you're about to resign or some way your employment's about to stop and you know about it hours ahead of time, maybe days or even weeks ahead of time, and you think just like this guy, what am I going to do? What am I going to, I'm going to go get a real job. This is going to be tough. They're about to come in and tell me i got to pack everything. What am I going to do next? And this manager does something really valuable. He begins to think about his life after his employment. He thinks about what's going to happen, where am I going to get a job. Either he doesn't have the skills or maybe the economy is not that good. And so he begins to do this, and it's really unique what he does. As he writes down the debt, okay, you owe my boss 100000 write down eighty. You owe, now owe 80000 By the way, my name is Tim. Remember me, because I'm going to be coming by in the next few weeks looking for a job. T-I-M. Tim is my name. Oh, you over here, million dollars you owe my boss. It's half a million now, just half a million. My name is Tim. Remember that name? If you need a good employee in the weeks and days to come, remember who saved you a half a million dollars. Okay? Now, that seems to me that if somebody were doing that with my money, I would give them a thorough just chewing out. I would become the modern-day equivalent of Bobby Knight. I would just chew on them big time. But that's not what this manager does. He commends him for his shrewdness, his cleverness, his intelligence, his thinking ahead. Now, as you think about that, really becomes a valuable thing that Jesus now tells us. Here's the kicker, verse 8. He is commending the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. And then Jesus adds these words in verse 9. 
They're the first of many layers. He says, I tell you, believers, notice in verse 1, he says, he's speaking to disciples. I tell you, my disciples, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when unrighteous wealth fails, you'll be received into eternal dwellings. Isn't that fascinating? There's three lessons I want you to see, three life lessons. Here are the three life lessons. I want you to see his sharpness. I want you to see his cleverness. I want you to realize that everybody can do this. It's not about whether you're rich or you're poor or you're middle class. It's not about whether you can pay your bills or not. It's not about math. It's about our behavior. Because this manager is praised because he's looking forward into his future. He's got foresight. He's looking ahead. And he's making a decision based on his future. Three life lessons. First, your future counts. Again, Jesus is speaking to believers here. I want you to note that. In chapter 15, his primary audience was the Pharisees. These were the teachers of the law that would not have largely been his disciples. Largely, they would not be anything but his disciples. Now his focus shifts. He's speaking to believers, and he wants to tell believers that your future counts. In fact, verse 8 and verse 9, notice what he says. For the sons of this world, non-Christians, I want you to note that, non-Christians are more shrewd, they're more clever, they're more smart in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. So Jesus is taking a dishonest man, he's saying you can learn something from a sinner, and he says, look at this son of this world and this son of light. Look at this non-Christian and this Christian. You can learn something from him because he's actually thinking about his future where most of the sons of light, most of the believers are not. Recently, I had a conversation with a man named Josh. He was a retirement planner. I'm about, four, I'm not about, I'm 48 years of age. Most of my focus has been just paying the bills taking care of, you know, all the needs that come along with three kids. And so I began to sort of do the math. I'm really intelligent. And I came to the conclusion that I'm about 20 years away from retirement. And I thought, I probably ought to get a handle on this thing because my wife's going to think she's married to an idiot here in about 18 years when I say, hey, we ought to have a discussion about this. So Josh was a, was a retirement planner. So Josh took all that I have in retirement and he took, he said, okay, if you keep giving this amount to retirement, and he ran it through a computer model, a thousand, thousand different simulations. He says, I've got some good news and I've got some bad news for you. Josh said, I've got some good news. About 55% of the time, you have enough money from the age 67 to around 80-something to actually retire. Well, that's fantastic. Let's, let's stay in that first 55%. Let's not live another 45%. He said, but I, I recommend, we made some adjustments. That was 18, we had that conversation. We made some adjustments in early 19. And I called Josh again and said, hey, how about we run that, that simulation again? And lo and behold, I was in the 60 percentile, somewhere in there. I was really ecstatic. I came home, I expect like a sticker or a badge from Tracy that I'd done really, really well. She wasn't nearly as excited as I was. You know, Josh helped me because all my focus is, if I look out the windshield of my life, is between the dashboard and what would have been the hood ornament. I'm just thinking about the immediate. You're probably the same way. If you're in college, all you're thinking about is graduation day. Most of us think about the next week. Jesus is not talking about any of those horizons. 
He's not talking about any piece of life to make sure that you have the finances to be taken care of. He's thinking about and talking about your second life. He's talking about eternity. He uses the word eternal dwellings. In fact, verse 2 is going to happen for all of us. Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be a manager. Don't you see it? There's all coming a day when somebody's going to come in, take all of your possessions, they're going to box them up in the equivalent of a monopoly box, and you're going to go to bed, only you're going to go to bed for eternity. And you're not going to take any of your hotels, your houses, your properties with you. Jesus says you can't take your money with you, but you can send it ahead. In fact, I want to remind you of an important truth for every believer in the room. The Bible says, Paul says in Romans chapter 4, each one of us will give an account of himself to God. Each one of us. So depending on how you do the next few weeks, you may have to give an account to the Internal Revenue Service. The good friends down there may want to come in and visit with you. and They may have some, uh, say, well, I didn't think that was a deduction, or you didn't report this income. I hope that you never have to do that with the Internal Revenue Service. But I will tell you this, Mr. and Mrs. Believer, my believing friends, you will give an account of yourself to God. And he won't need your receipts. He won't have to ask you any questions. He knows every decision you've made, wherever penny went, and he knows your motives. This will happen to all of us one day. It's the equivalent of playing Monopoly and laying down and going, taking that rest. So again, you cannot take your money with you, but you can send it ahead. Look at verse 9 again. After you die, Jesus says, you can send your wealth ahead, quote, to make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth. Let me call a time out here for just a moment. I want to make sure that nobody who's listening to this message, nobody's reading this, because this is very strange. Again, you read this parable and you want to look at the end of it and go, do I, do I have like somebody else's Bible? Is this in my Bible? I want to make sure everybody's really clear. You cannot purchase your way into heaven. You will not get into heaven and see that, you know, this wing is provided for by the Mays family. You'll never see that. It's never donated by. These, you won't see that there. In fact, heaven is, in one sense, absolutely free. But in another sense, it's been purchased for you. Because you do not have the ability to purchase heaven. You don't have the wealth. You don't have the good deeds. It's purchased by Jesus Christ. In fact, a critical, hope that you have this memorized at some point. For by grace you've been saved, the Bible teaches by grace you've been saved, not through money, not through effort, through faith. And this is not of your own doing. Aren't you grateful for those little words? It is a gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one can boast. Can you imagine if heaven could be purchased? Put yourself on between, you know, Hallelujah and Main Street up there in like the second millennia of heaven, and you've got some rich, wealthy tycoon, and he's bragging how he purchased eternity i can't think of a quicker way to make heaven into hell than having somebody like that there jesus says this is purchased for you you can receive heaven you can receive eternal life by embracing the cross of jesus by faith i wonder if you've done that i wonder if you've come to that certainty that's really important so your future counts. Jesus says, again in verse 9, 
make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth so that when the wealth fails you may receive may receive you into eternal dwellings who are these friends well i could picture it as a result of your ministry and as a result of your life friends come out to greet you in heaven they're the orphans that you supported they're the people that through your finances you gave them a cup of cold water to use the words of matthew 25 you gave them basic food and then you spoke to them in the name of jesus christ the eternal friends are coming out of their houses who are these individuals where they may be the people the result of a missionary's work they come out of their houses they greet you because in heaven all things are known they realize that that missionary wouldn't have been on the field had it not been apart from your giving your praying maybe you're the one that went there maybe you're the person who took your mission trip or your retirement and went and you spoke the name of the good news of jesus or you used your finances to support church planning and other things so all of a sudden people are greeting you and they're telling you their story and that can be fantastic let me i mean i watched a news special several years ago about a man who went to new york university and wrote money for every doctor to have a full scholarship that year trace and i were watching that together. i said that is amazing wouldn't you love to have that ability to do that that's cool but wouldn't it be even better to see people experience the opportunity to know the lord jesus christ to have some pastor planter missionary leader of an orphanage because of what you did jesus says your future counts now some of you i'm going to keep the, with the construction analogy that jesus used jesus said i've gone to prepare a place for you to believers i've gone to prepare a place for you to use that construction analogy some of you will get to heaven and you will not have the size house that you want you will have a pup tent pup tent there just enough for you some of you may have just like a studio apartment it's not about how much wealth it is about what you're doing you may have some of you may have a huge house so you're going to come up there and if the angels are constructing the house you may say why is it i don't have a bigger house angel may say to you we did all we could with what you sent ahead we stretched it every way we could that may be said of you see i think there's a myth in many churches once you come to faith in jesus christ just coast ain't no big deal but your future counts here's the second thing your faithfulness counts go back into verse 10 your faithfulness counts one who's faithful in very little is faithful in much one who's dishonest in the very little is dishonest with much if then you've not been faithful in unrighteous wealth if you've been unfaithful in unrighteous wealth who will entrust you to true riches if you've not been faithful in that which is in others who will give you that which is own here's our concept for faithfulness it's called delayed gratification delayed gratification is a muscle that needs to grow for all of us we will delay an immediate reward for a greater for a greater reward that's coming down the road have you heard of the marshmallow experiment in the 1960s at stanford the marshmallow experiment what they did is essentially they got four and five year olds they put them in a room the researcher told the four and five year old this is what's going to happen i'm about to exit the room for a total of 15 minutes 15 minutes i'll be gone 
This marshmallow will sit there for the entire 15 minutes. You can eat it immediately if you want to. But here's what happens. If you wait the whole 15 minutes when I walk back in the door, and if the entire marshmallow is there when I come back in, you will get two marshmallows. So it's really interesting to watch the video. Some kids, your kids, eat it immediately. My kids squirm a little bit and then go ahead and eat it. But there's a select few that wait the entire 15 minutes. Now what makes the story and the whole experiment really interesting is to watch the research of these kids 40 years later. In the 1960s, these kids are now older than me. And here's what they discover with delayed gratification. That when the researcher left and they waited the 15 minutes and they did need it and they got the second marshmallow, here's what they discovered looking at their lives 15 years later. These individuals tend to have higher SAT scores. They tend to have lower substance abuse. They have a lower likelihood of obesity, better responses to stress, better social skills as reported by their parents. By generally all measures in life, these individuals were more happy, more well-adjusted, delayed gratification, looking past your nose and realizing that choices and consequences. Jesus teaches us in this important, perplexing parable that if we delay taking the reward immediately, there's a greater reward. And it's not 15 minutes later. It's in the second life that's coming. Friend, there's a lot of people around us today who are living for an immediate reward. They grab it right ahead of them. But there are a few faithful people who forego the immediate reward for a greater reward coming. Why do you do anything? You do it, hopefully, for the love of the Lord, but secondly, you do it because what did Jesus tell Peter? Those who leave houses and lands, mothers and fathers, will be rewarded so much more. Jesus sees every ounce of your sacrifice. He's watching clearly. Faithfulness matters. Here's some questions to ask yourself. What kind of building materials am I sending ahead to heaven? If the angels, and I don't know who the angel is, if the angel's constructing, you know, my double-wide trailer, maybe my single-wide trailer, what kind of materials am I sending up ahead? What needy person am I sacrificing for now? What needy person am I sacrificing for? When Jesus decided to tell the story about heaven and hell, he told about a rich man who ate in front of a poor man every day. How in God's name can you fill yourself each and every day in front of a man who's outside your gate who doesn't have enough to eat? What needy person are you sacrificing? Third, who's going to heaven because of your witness? Your witness that you've communicated the good news of Jesus Christ. Who's going to be in heaven among the friends who exit those houses who hug you and rejoice and say, thank God for you. Your faithfulness counts. Your future counts. Third, your God counts. Your God counts. Look at the end of this parable in verse 13. No one can serve two masters for either. He will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. 
You cannot serve God and money. It's as if Jesus reaches for my wallet, takes out a $100 bill, and he stands it up like it was a person. The $100 bill takes arms and legs. He looks at that, and he says, are you going to serve God or are you going to serve money? Because that money is important only for a period of time. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. Money will fail you one day. And if you live all for the idol of money, there's a day of regret coming. Here in the end, I want us to teach, I want us to hear three things. You might just want to jot these down. Tithing teaches me to live by faith. There are some in the room today that say, I cannot afford to tithe. I don't know what that preacher's making. I don't trust that dude anyway. He's probably on commission today. You know, if he gets more people to give, he'll get more money. I don't know what he's making, but I don't have enough to tithe. There was a day when Jesus came across a man who could not walk. Jesus could have said to the man who could not walk, I heal you, and grabbed him and lifted him up. Instead, Jesus, in the process of healing him, said to this man, take up your mat and walk. Jesus was requiring this man to act as if the miracle's true before the miracle happens. On another occasion, he said to a man who had a shriveled arm, reach out, take a hold of me. It's a cruel thing to walk into those who've lost limbs as a result of like the Iraqi war or the Afghanistan war and tell them walk or reach out. Yet Jesus did it and the man had to act as if the miracle was true before the miracle happened. You're saying to God today, listen carefully, you're saying to God, I don't need you in my finances. I've got it. That's what you're saying. You're saying to God, you take care of heaven and hell. I know you've got that handled, but you're not smart enough and wise enough to handle my money. That's what you're saying. Here's what you're saying when you don't at least tie. That's the minimum training wheels of generosity God considers, the minimum. You're saying, I don't need to live as if God is real. I'm not living by faith. When you live by faith, like our friend a moment ago said, Tommy and his wife, there are times in all of us believers when we write a check or however we've given and it's not there. And somehow supernaturally the Lord does it. And when that happens to you, you have a powerful story. You know that the Lord is real. You know he's going to come through. I pray that for all of you. I pray that for my three kids. Pray that they get that one day. Tithing teaches me to live by faith. Secondly, tithing pleases God. Here at the end, when I talk about your God matters, this is something that pleases the Lord. When it's done humbly, it pleases God. When you do it to attract attention, it doesn't please God. When it's done humbly as a sense of God, I was able to get up this week, go to work, you put the money in the bank, all that. It pleases the Lord. In fact, you've got a card in front of you for the second week in a row. Some of you weren't here a week ago, and I want to ask you to take that and put it in your hand for just a moment. There's three choices here, and I'm going to walk through those three. If you're married, I want you to talk about this with your spouse. I want this to be an altar for you. I want this to be something that is an act of worship. 
The first of the three choices is quite simply, you see on the screen, I'm going to test God for three months. We looked a week ago, and I remind you now, the book of Malachi says, God's saying, test me in this, try me. Test me, try me. So try it for three months. See if in the next three months what it looks like. Second choice, I will contribute a tithe, 10% of my income in 2020. Some of you are there, you're ready to do that. Those of you today, that's third choice. I will go beyond giving a tithe. Maybe this church, whatever church, you would tithe, and then you've got an orphan ministry or a missionary that you want to give to. Great organization that helps the poor, benevolence, fantastic, get after it. We want you to do that, praise God. You're not too young to do this if you're a teenager. If you mow yards in the summer, make $25, $35, don't do what one of my kids said. When I get more money, I'll start this. No, you won't. If I didn't learn from my wife's family when I was making ten and 12000 a year to do this, working my way through college, one and two jobs, I would never probably be doing it right now. That was the moment. Jesus says to those who've been given a little, he's watching, it's a test to see how you handle that. Make this your altar. Don't turn this into the church, we don't want it. Put this, ladies, where you put your makeup on, as a reminder. Put this in your bill drawer or you pay your, drill, pay your bills. Put it in a prominent place like your Bible that you'll see throughout the year. We have a powerful temptation that God will be money and money will be our God. And make that your altar. Here's the third and last. Only as tithing, please the Lord. It teaches me to live by faith. Third and last, tithing breaks the grip of greed. If we're not careful, whatever we make, very little, very maybe a whole lot, we'll get to the end of our life, we'll get to our 40s or 50s, whenever that is. And you heard our friend a moment ago, he just said, I wasn't giving. And it's something about it. And when you don't give, you're greedy. You're like that, you're like that Christmas Grinch. I'm not the first or the last to say it, but you can give, right? Or you can love without giving. Let me say that again. You can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. It breaks the grip of greed. For God so loved the world that he, he gave. And you and I are like God when we give. This is an act of worship. This pleases the Lord. And when I do it, my heart becomes bigger as I grow and I please God. Thanks for listening to the North Richland Hills Baptist Church Sermon Audio Podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, go to nrhbc.org.